Well, good morning, Bay Hills. Grab the study guide that's in your program. We're continuing our series this morning, uh, kind of keeping in line with uh, what the day is today. You know, uh, Brigitte and I, our church administrator, during the week, we're trying to figure out what do we kind of what kind of fun gift do we give to, to the dads that doesn't break the budget and something? So she came up with the M&Ms and make sure you pick one up on the way out, all the guys. But afterwards, I thought it was interesting. I, I found uh, 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 some research and what a church in England did when it was Father's Day there. And when it was, of course, there's a different culture and everything, but this church in England, what they did for Father's Day is they gave all the dads a bottle of beer. <laughs> imagine that? You talk about extreme, can you imagine the, the extreme reaction we would get here? You'd have some people that, you know, grew up really conservative, you know, the good Baptists among us would want me fired, right? And, but then those of you who grew up Lutheran or Catholic, Presbyterian, you want a second bottle of beer. So it just depends on where you're coming from, but uh, we are continuing our series called Under Pressure. It's a relationship series, kind of a family series. And today we're talking about uh, pressure and parenting. Um, as we get going, let's just start out. Quick question. How many of you have, don't have, have, your kids have already moved out? Look at how excited these people are. They are just gone. They're, how many of you still have kids that are in elementary or high school? Okay. Good number of you. How many of you, this will be interesting. How many of you have kid, you have one kid and that child is under the age of two. Can I see your hand? Under the age of two. Anyone? Any? Okay, in the back there. Uh, uh, in the, for those of you who raised your hand, welcome to our world, suckers. <laughs> how, how many of you have no kids? No kids. Look at these people, well-rested, makes me sick. Just <laughs> if you look at our study guide, what we're going to start out with is the question, why? 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 Does parenting create pressure and stress? And, and the reason I ask, it, ask this, Psalm 127 says this, the man whose quiver is full, he'll have happiness and joy. And you go, what the heck does that mean? Well, if, if that verse was written today in our language, that the psalmist would say it like this. He would say, the, the dad, the mom, the parent that has a van full of kids, he'll be happy, right? It's this idea that kids, they bring happiness and joy to life. They add a little spice to life, Right? So if that's the case, why when we talk, when I talk to so many parents, they're stressed, they're anxious, they're experiencing pressure. That's what I want to talk to you about as we get going before we get into kind of some advice. Now, before we get into the verses, I have some verses for you. Uh, I want to show you a video that I, I think shows a parent experiencing a little pressure. It happened about a year ago. It was a professor being interviewed from his church, uh, from his home office, kind of a Skype thing. And by the BBC. And while this was happening, his kids did something, and well, you'll see kind of what added pressure to his life. Scandals happen all the time. The question is how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shifting, shifting, <laughs> shifting sands in the region to relations with the North may change. Um, I would be surprised if you. Nate, our sound guy, was telling me they had all kinds of interviews with this uh, with this guy afterwards. And one, someone said to him, "You know, you you really should probably think about getting a better maid." And he said, "That would be my wife." Uh, <laughs> 
That's one of those things you might say, but you know, you don't speak it out loud. But, uh, you know, hasn't that thing kind of happened to you, but at a restaurant or your kid did something boneheaded at school, you know, or in the supermarket? That's just kind of an example of why sometimes parenting adds pressure and anxiety. What we're going to do is we're going to look at four reasons biblically in terms of what happens. Here's the first one. I know it seems kind of obvious, but parenting is difficult and it's complex. That's the first reason why parenting can be difficult and stressful. Luke chapter 2 verse, oh, let's put it up on the screen. They're not with me. Do we not? There we go. Luke chapter 2 verse 47 and 48. Now, um, to give you context, Luke chapter 2 is the story where Jesus is taken by his parents, Mary and Joseph, and they go to the Passover in Jerusalem. And back in those days, you would go like with the village. So it's like 150 people going. And after they left Jerusalem and are heading back to Nazareth, the Mary and Joseph, they discover Jesus isn't with them. So that's pressure enough. I mean, they lost the son of God, right? They entrusted by God to, to watch over Jesus. They lost him. So they head back to Jerusalem to find him. So he's, he was at the, at the temple, right? And here's what we read. The teachers were all quite, quite taken with Jesus, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. His parents, not so impressed. They weren't happy with what had happened. They were upset. They were hurt. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, let's just be clear. Joseph and and Mary, they didn't have the perfect child on paper. No, they had the perfect child literally. Jesus was a sinless, not only as an infant child, but as an adult. So watch, they have the perfect sinless child and it still produces stress, anxiety, hurt, and pain. The point being, I think one of the biggest mistakes some of us parents make is underestimating how complicated parenting slash grandparenting really is. It's not as easy as so many of us make it out to be. And honestly, sometimes when I watch and I observe, it almost comes across as some of us are winging it because we assume it's easy. So let me give you this example. Um, And and I'm going to give you extreme examples to make a point, right? Do you think parenting is more like surgery, right? A surgeon, they're operating on an appendix or operating on someone's heart, surgery, or in other words, complicated, or do you think parenting is more like making a sandwich or pumping gas? Super simple. You could do it mindlessly. Super complicated surgery. Super simple. Making a sandwich, pumping gas. Now, I, re- I, get, I get it somewhere in the middle. I get that. But I'm forcing you to pick. And if you have to pick, it's obvious. It's complicated. And those of us who even close think that it's kind of simple, that's part of the problem. Parenting is complex. It's difficult. It's challenging. And the minute you think you figured it out, then the kid grows up, they go into a new stage, you got to figure it out all over again. Can I stay with this illustration of surgery and making a sandwich for a second? Do you know how long it takes the average surgeon minimum before they're allowed to do surgery? Minimum? You know how long? Minimum of 12 years. So now let me apply that same principle to you as a parent. Are you winging it or are you putting some energy and time and commitment to study parenting as an art and as a science? Literally, if you're dropping off the kids in this area back here, every single Sunday, you walk by about 20 different books and resources. I got three of them over here. 
um, that we're recommending, the children's pastors. Rec- I, I don't care if you pick these three or another three. All I'm saying is that, you know, whether it's an infant or elementary or high school or even the kids have moved out because you still have a role there. Study it. Why? Because it's complicated and it's complex. The second reason is because children are sinful. They're sinful. Psalm 51, verse 5. David is speaking and he says this, Surely I was sinful at birth. From the minute he's born, I was sinful at birth from the time my mother conceived me. You know, there's a lot of things we don't have as a church. You know, we don't have a building yet and everything. But one thing I think we're much better at than other churches is we're much better looking than other churches. Have you noticed that about this church? Have you noticed how the kids in our church are so good looking, right? Your kids, I see you. You bring in a man, they're dressed nice, they're cute, right? You're cuddling them. You drop them off in one of the rooms in the back here, depending on their age, right? Here's what you don't know about your kids. Here's what you don't know about our children's kids ministry going on right now. The minute you turn the corner and come into this room to worship Jesus, you want to know what your kid does? They start kicking, scratching, and pushing the other kids to get the toys they want. Right now, there are two skirmishes going on there right there, right now. Why do you think we have a safety team? It's your kids. We're trying to keep them separated, right? I'm kind of having a little fun with that, but I think some of us miss out on it. We literally miss it. What some of us think, oh, look at how cute they are. And they are cute. That, that very action is also sinful and rebellious. It's not something they learn when they get to preschool and they pick up from some other kid. No, no, no. They're born with it. You see, every single one of us is born with two things that's competing in our life. We're born with a, in the image of God. You know what that means? That means that if you have a non-church-going person that doesn't love Jesus, just because they're made in the image of God, they have something good within them. Have you ever met a non-Christian? They act more Christian than some of us. Have you ever met people like that? You're like, you would make a good Christian. You know, you got to get saved. That's because the image of God, they're just, they're being like God. They don't even realize it. At the very same time, within each and every one of us, Psalm 51, you and I and our kids are born with a sinful nature a sinful streak, a rebellious streak that causes us to do unspeakable things and say unspeakable things. And as a parent, you got to understand that. Cute, yes, but also sinful at the very same time. And that adds to the challenge and the pressure of parenting. Add to that divorce, blended families, and single parenting. I've never heard anyone go, oh, I'm glad that happened to me. Anytime that happens, it it adds a, a layer of complexity, challenge, and difficulty. And if you've experienced that, you, you know what I'm talking about. So all I'm saying, hey, it, parenting is complex. Second of all, kids are sinful. Third is sometimes I think we forget the goals of parenting. And I put the word goals in, in quotation marks because I, I realize you don't literally forget. I, I, I got that. You don't literally forget. But sometimes, could I just say as your pastor and someone has, who's observing, sometimes the way we live our life, the energy we put into things, what we spend our time thinking about, our time doing, it's like we were living like we've forgotten. On the screen, I've got for you the purpose and the priority of parenting. The purpose of parenting is the process of preparing your kids to what? To, to leave, to leave. Genesis chapter 2, which is a verse on marriage, but it does say this, a man will leave his father and mother and go get a tent or a cave or an apartment with his wife. That's how it is, right? In Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. 
Go, andale. That's what we're trying to get the kids to do. Go. That's, you've got to keep the end in mind. Now, is our job to keep them well-fed and dressed and make sure they go to school? Of course. But you've got to keep the end in mind. Your job is to do whatever you can to put your kids in the situation so that when they walk out of your house, now, sometimes it's kind of half walk out because of college and whatever and all that, but when they leave, they know how to handle themselves. They don't fall flat on their face. They're productive members of society. I don't have time, but it was interesting. I Googled real quick, things kids need to know before they move out. And there was one article, 50 things, you know, simple stuff like ironing and laundry and do a checkbook and basic maintenance on a car and on and on and on and on, how to cook a basic meal. Keep that in mind. Your job is to get them ready to go, to leave, okay? Now, the priority of parenting. The priority of parenting is to develop Christ-like integrity and character. There's a lot of things you and I do as parents, but the priority according to scripture is to develop Christ-like integrity and character. It's like this son uh, that goes to his dad. He says, dad, I want to drive the family car. I think it's time. And the dad says, okay, we'll do that. Three things though, three prerequisites. One, you got to get your grades up. Two, you got to read your Bible every day. And three, you've got to get a haircut comes back in a month and he says dad i'm ready to drive the family car i did what you wanted me to do i I have all a's and b's and every day this last month i read my bible and and the the dad go time out there was actually three things what's with the haircut i mean and he goes dad i've actually been thinking about that he says you know you keep telling me to be like jesus and jesus had long hair you know and the dad says son you are right and jesus walked everywhere he went I'm going to ask you a question or make a couple statements that may sting, but know that I'm doing it out of love and my goal is to challenge you. Is your priority really Christ-like character or is it something else? Think about what you spend your time doing. Think about what you spend your energy on. Think about what you spend your time thinking about and or worrying about. Is it really Christ-like character? Let me give you a couple examples. Are, are you more concerned about Christ-like character or are you more concerned about them getting good grades and going to college? Are you more concerned about Christ-like character or are you more concerned, get ready because it's going to sting, how to hit a curveball, how to shoot a jump shot, how to score a goal? What do you spend your time thinking about, worrying about, focusing on? Are are you more concerned about Christ-like character or are you more concerned about them being well-rounded and, I don't know, playing an instrument or speaking a different language or being a world traveler? Now, I'm all for good grades. Trust me. I'm all for sports. You know that about me. And I'm not one of those legalistic parents that says, you know, God's going to get upset if you miss one Sunday because your kid's playing some game or some... And and I'm all for about being well-rounded. As long as at the very same time we are all on the same page, the priority still remains Christ-like character. That's the priority. It's very clear in Scripture. And oh, by the way, if you make that a priority, a lot of those other things work themselves out. They really do. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I've got, I've got the, the, the reference in your study guide. I don't have time to go over it with you. But it's a great, it's a great passage on parenting discipleship. So when it comes to parenting and discipleship, helping them become Christ-like, 
What you need to understand is it's not really a, something you do formally. You sit around a, you know, a table and you have them fill out notes. I mean, I guess that could help. It's much more informal. It's not something that, that is taught. It's something that is caught. So here, here's what the writer of Deuteronomy says. You want to encourage your kids to be Christ-like? Watch. It can and should happen in the car when you're driving on the highway. The conversations you have, how you respond to someone who cuts you off, that's discipleship. How, how you talk about the movie you guys watched and what was in it that was good or not so good, that's discipleship. The conversation you have around the table at lunchtime, that's discipleship. When you're teaching them to hit a curveball, when you're teaching them about good grades, that can be discipleship. In other words, discipleship doesn't happen formally in a classroom. Good family discipleship happens in everyday living. Just kind of as you're coming and going, you, you bump into opportunities to influence them to live for Christ. So I just want you to keep the perspective, whether it's a parent or a grandparent, or you're an aunt or an uncle that has influence on someone, that's the priority. That's the priority, okay? The last reason is because there's no guarantee that kids are going to turn out the way we hope they are and want, even if you as a parent do everything right. And that causes stress. I have for you on the screen what is probably one of the most well-known verses in Scripture on parenting. And um, it's well-known, but is also flawed in its interpretation. So here's the verse. It's train up a child in the way he should go, right? So teach a kid. Tell him what they should do. Tell him to love Jesus. All these other things, you know, good grades and, you know, well-rounded. That's what you should do. Teach them this. And if you do that correctly, even when they're old, they won't depart for it, which is a nice way of saying they're going to turn out well. So watch. So if you want your kid to turn out well, what you have to do, what I have to do is be a good parent. Be a good parent equals kids turn out well. Here's the problem. What happens if they don't turn out well? Well, What happens if they uh, get in trouble with the law? What happens if if they just start going down the wrong path. What happens if they can't keep a job down because they're just not that good of an employee and they keep getting fired? What happens if they grow up and they don't love Jesus and don't go to church and don't live for Christ? I don't care how you... What happens if they they don't live up to their potential? You know what a lot of us parents do? Well, according to the formula, if they didn't turn out well, then that that means I was a screw-up as a parent. And that is flawed biblical interpretation. I don't have it for you as a blank. I don't care if you write it down or not, but you have to remember this. What you see on the screen is a proverb. It's a principle, not a promise. It is a proverb, a principle, not a promise. The book of Proverbs, and this is why biblical interpretation is so important. This tells you what is generally true. Yes, generally, if someone has a healthy family generally, they turn out pretty good. Generally. But, but you, that's, that's like, generally, we could say this. There's fog in San Francisco. Is that generally true? But not always true, right? You could say Thai food is spicy. That's generally true, but not always true. You could say the 49ers are a sucky team. That's generally true, right? Excuse me, sir. This is my time right now. This generally true. I'm just getting ready for the NFL. I'm just warming up. But every once in a while, they win a football game, right? Okay, let's, let's get back to Bible, please. Let's focus. I feel like this is junior high youth group. Um, 
generally true. Good parenting, generally good homes produce good kids. But have you ever seen the opposite? Have you ever seen a kid that comes out of a horrible family life, incredibly dysfunctional, and they turn out super good? Some of you are like that. You did not have a great upbringing. You've turned out pretty good. Vice versa, have you seen great parents, but somehow or another one of the kids just goes off in the wrong direction? So here's the point. That's the frustration. That's the challenge. Even if you do everything right, it's not a guarantee that the kids are going to turn out the way you'd hoped. Big point, big picture. There's a lot of pressure when it comes to parenting. Is there joy? Absolutely. I love my kids. Don't make any mistake about it. Even pastoring, uh, a, a parenting pastor's kids can be challenging. My kids aren't perfect. No kids are perfect. So what are we going to do about it? Let me give you three pieces of advice. And I, you know, on the backside, I put for dads, for parents. It's again, it's for anybody who has influence on a kid. Number one is I want to encourage you to stretch and endeavor to be righteous. So Proverbs chapter 20, verse seven says this, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Now I want, I want to identify a couple things for you. So the first challenge is to be righteous, to be right. What does that mean? Right, you've got to get this. You've got to remember it at some point in time because it's a Bible word that's important. To be righteous or righteousness is nothing more than to have a right relationship with God. That's all that means. It's a fancy word that means a right relationship with God. Follow-up question. How do I have a right relationship with God? You have to do two things. One, you have to embrace Jesus as your Savior. Number two, you have to yield your life to the Holy Spirit. That's a lifetime exercise. It give yourself to Christ as your savior, one-time event, yield your life to the Holy Spirit. That's a lifetime exercise. In other words, God, Holy Spirit, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what direction you want me to go in. Help me understand this book and apply it to my life. That's yielding you your life. That is righteousness. You are involved in a growing relationship with God, with Jesus. Now, if your righteousness, one of the benefits is that your kids, according to this verse, are blessed. What that means, very simply, is that kids of a righteous parent, a mom, a dad, benefit greatly. They have some bonuses that they get just because mom or dad or both of them are righteous. Now, righteous dad, right, which does result, by the way, notice it says blameless living. It doesn't say perfect living. It means you're heading in the right direction. That's the most important. I don't care where you're at in life. Just are you heading in the right direction? Righteousness means kids are blessed, they benefit. And now here's what's super interesting. It's those last two, three words, even after them. So what this is saying, it's this idea that a righteous mom, a righteous dad doesn't just benefit the kids living in the household with them. It can benefit your family for generations to come. It can benefit your grandkids and your great-grandkids. There's an interesting story that is, that is told to illustrate this principle. In the 1700s, there was two guys, one by the name of Edwards and the other name Jukes. And uh, Jonathan Edwards was a righteous man. He was a church-going man. He was a Christian. Uh, uh, for a while, he was a pastor. And he had his family go to church with him, right? Uh, the other guy, Max Jukes, and you kind of you see by the number on his chest kind of what happened to him. He was a proclaimed atheist. He was open about it. He forbade his family from going to church. You may not go. Now, there's nothing necessarily unique about we, we have men and moms like this all over the place. What's interesting is that historians bumped into, kind of by accident, 
what was the result of these two dads and their impact on their family for years to come. I'm going to show you. Let's put it up on the screen. But what happened to Jonathan Edwards is that his legacy and his family was 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 75 military officers, 80 public servants, 60 authors, 60 doctors, 30 judges, 100 pastors, 100 lawyers, three U.S. senators, and a vice president. I I would say that's quite an impressive legacy. What do you say? Max Jukes, on the other hand, 310 of his descendants died poor or as paupers. 150 criminals that went to prison, seven murderers, 100 were drunk or drunks, and 190 prostitutes that worked in a whorehouse, essentially. What about his legacy? Now, I, I get it. For every one of these examples, we could come up with something different. But this is interesting for the sake of the principle in that verse. Your choice to be righteous It may not impact your family today, this week, next month, next year, but it has the potential and don't you ever minimize what it can do for your family and your legacy for years to come. You want to be a great parent? Then strive to be righteous. That's principle number one. Principle number two, give good advice. Make sure you're giving good advice. Now, I'm going to give you four references. I could have given you 24 references because the book of Proverbs is essentially a dad talking to his son. And, 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 And at the beginning of several of the first chapters, it's always the same thing. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, Proverbs chapter three, verse one, my son, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Proverbs 7, verse 1, my son, keep my words and store my commands within you. Now, let me take this in a couple directions. First of all, to those of you who are kids, especially if you're still living at home with mom or dad, could I just say this to you? You can trust your parents' advice. Now, I get it. Sometimes we roll our eyes at mom and dad. Here they go again. You can trust their advice. Why? They're older than you and have more experience than you. That alone should be able to help. Two, you can take it to the bank. They desperately love you. Number three, they want your success. Now, because those three things are true of your parents, your parents, maybe unlike anyone else, sometimes will speak truth into your life, even if they know you don't want to hear it. And I'm telling you, watch, look at those verses on the screen. Over and over and over and over, the writer of Proverbs says, you can trust a parent's advice. I'm not saying we parents always give the best advice, but I'm saying you can, you can trust it because of what we want for you. Second of all, for me, most of us, we are grown adults. I, I, I don't need advice from mommy or daddy anymore. I, I can kind of live life on my own. Sandy and I can figure out what we need to do without me calling my folks. But could I give you a suggestion? One of the best ways to honor your parents, especially if they're elderly, one of the best ways to love on them is continue to ask them for advice. You don't have to do it, but it's amazing what happens in the life of a parent, an elderly parent that you don't live with them anymore. When you say, you know what, I've got this issue at work. I've got this issue with one of the kids. Uh, I've got this issue with whatever. I just, what do you think? Just let them, let them give it, it, give, it keeps them involved in your life and it shows them some respect. You don't have to do what they, this is telling you, but listen to them. Now, 
These verses, especially I want to now end and speak to those of you who are giving advice. Those of you who have kids still living at home. You know, I realize elementary kids and how I speak into their life. High school kids, how I speak into their life. College kids, I have one still left in college. And then I have Joshua that's out, out of college. He's on completely on his own. My role with Julia, still living at home, is very different than Jessica at college, different than Joshua. He's out on his own. But I still have the ability as a dad to influence through the advice I give. It looks a little different for each kid, but I still have that ability. So speaking to those of you who are parents, here's my question. On a scale of one to 10, how good is your advice? Be honest. Think about this last week, maybe, or the last month, something that came up when whether your kids wanted it or not, you gave them some advice. How good is that advice? Could I give you a couple suggestions to make sure that advice is of higher quality? Make sure it mirrors this book. Either it's a command from this book or a general principle from this book. And they're both in here. Make sure it mirrors this book. It will elevate the quality of your advice. Second of all, this is so important. Make sure your words match your actions. That is so important. You know why? Because your kid is with you in the living room, in the kitchen, in the home, in the car, when you're living life. And it's one thing for you to speak truth, and then it's another thing for you to live truth. And if the way you live doesn't match what you say, I'm telling you, there's a good chance they're going to throw out your advice. There's a story about a frontier preacher. Years ago, he had two boys. The two boys came home one afternoon with a stray dog. It didn't, they found it, but he didn't look stray. He was well-groomed. It was a black dog with a couple, three distinctive white hairs on its tail, right? And so the, the boys were like, Dad, can we keep the dog? Can we keep the dog? Please, can we keep the dog? And the dad said, well, if no one claims it, I guess we can keep the dog. Well, no, no longer did they, he say that. Less than a week later, in the newspaper on the weekend, there was an ad for a lost dog. Completely black dog, it said, with three distinct hairs on its tail. Well, they had a sense that this dog that they had in their home probably belonged to this guy. But the preacher and his sons decided to do something. The preacher took his sons outside, and he plucked the three hairs off the tail. It was a small town, and the owner heard, oh my goodness, I've heard that the preacher has found a black dog. So this guy went over to the preacher's house, and as soon as he came, the dog came running up to him and jumped up on him. It seems like my dog. He recognizes me as his owner, but just before he was going to take him home, the preacher said, well, time out. Your ad said that your dog had three distinct white hairs on its tail. Yeah, that's right, he does. Well, let's check and see. And they looked, and of course, they weren't there. And so the true owner had to leave without his dog. Years later, that same dad, that same preacher said this. That day, my actions resulted in us being able to keep my dog, uh, keep the dog. But that day, I also do believe, was the first day that I began to lose my sons. The name of his two boys were Frank and Jesse James. Two major and historic outlaws in our country. Don't for one minute tell me that your righteousness doesn't matter. Don't for one minute tell me that it doesn't really matter if your life and your words don't match up. They, they, they matter. 
And, and the preacher may not know it, and the people sitting next to you may not know it, but your kids do. And oh, by the way, again, if you're a kid, your parent will never be able to live up to this. Don't hold them to that. Just, I would say to you, the same thing I say to any member, are your parents heading in the right direction? Are they trying to live up to this? And if they are, trust them. Trust them. Here's the last one. Last principle, guide, correct, and discipline when necessary. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod, well, they actually hate their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, let me give you a couple of suggestions when it comes to correcting your kids, okay? Number one, it's gonna sound weird, don't treat your kids equally. Treat them uniquely. Now, I get it. Maybe when it comes to allowance, it's equally But when it comes to correction, for example, or discipline, don't treat them equally. Treat them uniquely. You need to know who your kids are and what their makeup is. So, for example, if you say to your kid, that's it, you're grounded, go to your room for the afternoon. Well, if your kid is an introvert, they're like, I'd love to. I'll just read there for the next four hours. I don't care, right? It just actually backfired. You have to know what motivates them and what trigger points they have, right? Treat them uniquely, not equally. The second thing I want to encourage you to do as a parent is when your kid does something they shouldn't have done. Try and identify, is it immature behavior or is it immoral behavior? Here's what I mean by that. Kids are going to be kids. Have you noticed that? Kids every once in a while do boneheaded things. Kids every once in a while do things that are wrong. But it's not because they're necessarily rebellious. In some cases, they're just being kids. They're just being kids. It's still, they still have to curb that behavior, but they're just being kids. It's either that or was it some streak of rebelliousness in them? Was it them working out their sinful nature? Was it them being selfish? It can be one action, but you have to be able to have the discernment to know which which is it. Are they just being kids? And, And I still need to curb that. But the way I respond is a little bit different than if it's sinful, rebellious behavior. Does that make sense? Here's the last one. You have to be very thoughtful when it comes to what type of discipline you're going to use, okay? Now, uh, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Every once in a while, I'll have a parent talk to me and ask me, well, is, is spanking okay? And I think part of the, you know, it's interesting. One, that topic has become very politicized in our, in our culture. So you'll have a bumper sticker, you'll have people say something like this, no loving parent would ever beat their child. Well, when you say it like that, yeah, I would agree with that. You're not going to beat my child either, right? Your child. But I guess that word beat and everything implies something that probably isn't true. On the flip side, it's very interesting when you look at statistics that still the number one method of discipline used by parents for kids 10 and under is spanking. So now you still as a parent have to decide what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. The question you have for me is, is what does the Bible say about it? Is it okay? And my answer would be, it depends. Now, give me a couple minutes and work, work this out with me. For a second, there, there's a couple things that I want to encourage you to think through. Number one, for example, Dobson, the leader of Focus on the Family, used to have, when referring to spanking, used to have this principle two smack max. Two smack max. In other words, just two spanks. Now, that's not in the Bible, but there's a principle, and the principle is there has to be a limit. And, it, and if some of us are going past the limit, it's wrong. Not only not a limit in smacks, but a limit in age. 
Any psychologist worth their salt will tell you that once you get to a certain age with kids, it, not only does it not work, you're doing the opposite. You're humiliating them. You're actually pushing them in the wrong direction. So you have to think that through for your family and your kid. The other thing that I would encourage you to think through, uh, and they also say, is never in anger, never in public. Ever in public, right? Uh, if you're going to spank, only on the butt because it's squishy, right? I don't know why I'm doing that, but I'll, t- I'll stop doing that. For, <laughs> I feel a little awkward, right? And, and if, if you're going to spank, this is very important, never, ever leave a mark. Not only could you get arrested for that, but you've gone too far. It's one thing for a kid's butt to be red for a couple minutes. It's another thing to leave a mark. It's two completely different things. And if you don't have the discernment to understand that, that's a problem in and of itself. The most important thing I want to make sure you get when it comes to what method of of discipline and spanking yes or spanking no is this following graph. And ask yourself the question, let's put it up there, is in what I'm doing, is it punishment or is it discipline? Now, I've shared this with you over the years. I've continued to develop it. I've continued to, to talk about different characteristics. Let's talk through it for a second. Punishment, the attitude is anger. You ever done that? Come on. You grab your kid and drag him out of the supermarket, right? That's punishment. Punishment is focused on the past. It's how they screwed up back there. And because you messed up over here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my purpose now is to give you, give you a penalty. Just like a, a, a police officer writing a ticket. Discipline is completely different. The focus of discipline is not, is not I'm angry. By the way, why do we get angry? If we're honest, sometimes it's because you embarrassed me in front of all those people. Or you, you frustrated me. Or you inconvenienced me. The minute you make it about yourself, I'm telling you, you're on the left column. That's what punishment is. Discipline, it's not about me. Oh, no, I could still be angry. I could still be upset. But discipline, properly understood, is about my child. It's, it's about me not looking at the past, but looking at the future. Now, I know you messed up back here, but what I'm going to do right now, whatever method I choose, is intended to motivate you in the future to promote growth. It's a completely different perspective. It's a completely different focus. You embarrassed me, so now I'm going to get you punishment. You didn't do what you should have done, and I want you to be a better person, so we're going to go in this direction. That's discipline. Punishment, the result is fear or guilt. If you raise your hand and your kid cowers, cowers, you have a problem. If your kid is overly afraid of you, you got a problem. Now, there's a healthy respect and fear of parents. But if when your kid, when my kid, when they mess up, if they are deathly afraid that mom and dad are going to find out, you're in the left column. The way you've responded and or over responded to the way they messed up in the past tells me they shouldn't be afraid of that. Does that make sense? Typically, punishment is too harsh and self-esteem with punishment destroys them. It makes them feel less than. Discipline? However, it's interesting also, again, studies show that it gives security. There's always limits, not only for the kid, but for the parent. And it strengthens their self-esteem. When it comes to volume, punishment is always loud. If you're yelling, screaming, I'm telling you, more likely than not, you're on the left side. On the right side, here's here's what discipline sounds like. So son, daughter, what you did was wrong, and this is why it was wrong, 
And I told you that if you did that, there would be a consequence. And so this is the consequence we're going to give you so that in the future, you don't do that again. Do you understand? And it's measured and it's calm and it's controlled. You can still be frustrated. You can still be upset, but it's controlled upset. It's controlled. So to answer your question, is spanking right or wrong? The answer is what side of the screen are you on? What column are you on? If you're on the left side, I'm telling you, the Bible's telling you it's wrong. If you're on the right side, then I would say, then you as a parent have the option to use that, but you best be thoughtful about it. You best be careful about it, irrespective of what the law says, what God says about it. Does that make sense? I started by showing you that little video of that, uh, that professor and what happened. After that, news stories picked up all over about it. I'm going to show you one follow-up news report on it, and then we'll wrap up. I'll let you go. Watch. Four-year-old Marion captured hearts around the world when she hippity-hopped into her father's home office and crashed his interview on live TV. I think one of your children's just walked in. Now check out Marion during her dad's press conference, sucking on a lollipop, the epitome of cool. The stylish four-year-old is setting the internet on fire. Marion for president, one fan tweeted. Citizens of Earth, bow to your new overlord. The question now is how do people respond to their scandals? Meantime, check out this spoof from the New Zealand comedy duo Jono and Ben. It shows how a working mom would have handled the chaotic interview. I think one of your children's just walked in. The sharply dressed woman calmly lifts her child and gives her a bottle. But what effect former President Gunhae's impeachment will have on the territories? No need to shoo her kid away like this dad. And when her baby waddles in on a walker, she's ready. To President uh, not so for the embarrassed professor. Um, pardon me. As for the multitasking mom, nothing throws her off. She cooks. Sorry, you do look rather busy there. She steams. She cleans the toilet. I would argue, in an attempt to make an example of her. She even diffuses a bomb. Oh my god, is that a bomb? There's also a Star Wars theme parody. Rebellions happen all the time. Here, Darth Vader's in the hot seat. I think one of your droids has just wandered in. In this galaxy far, far away, Princess Leia is the hero. Okay, let's stand. We'll pray and I'll let you get going. Heavenly Father, um, we, we know Hallmark is, is intended and to us to focus on dads today and we're grateful for the guys and the dads and yet the reality is for some of us today is a hard day it's hard because uh, while some grew up in a, in a good home with good mom and dad some of us didn't and some of us didn't have a dad growing up some of us have a dad but he's gone now and so days like today they're they're a little hurtful and so for anyone that feels that way this morning father i just pray you would encourage them i pray that um you would speak to them. I pray that you would also remind them and all of us, irrespective of what type, a kind of earthly father we had, we're reminded by one of the songs we sing that we have a good, good heavenly father. And we're grateful for who you are in our life and the difference you make. Thank you for your word, how practical it is, regardless of whether we're parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, that we, we all have the opportunity to influence those that are younger. I pray we would take that seriously as individuals and as a church. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.